subtitle, if you care about titles, if you care about any of that kind of stuff, my, my subtitle today would be, it's called Resist the Devil. Resist the Devil. And we're going to be talking about this. How do we go about doing this? What does this look like? And why is this important as it relates to our faith in God, uh, our ability to follow the promises of God, and especially as it relates to you know, our ability to trust God for healing in our life, or any other area of our life that we know that the Bible speaks to and, and, and addresses. And so in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, I'm just going to read there quickly. Like I said, we're going to start in Acts. I just want to remind you, this is a verse that we've covered several times before. And it, and it says that, and he said, God, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Okay? I, the Lord, am your healer. Now, God was very, very eager to let, his, let the children of Israel know something. Um, and and what he wanted them to know that, that when he, he felt a certain way about something, it was really, really important for them to pay attention and for them to listen. All right? Now, all of these particular people were probably very afraid um, in, uh, in a way, they were probably very afraid of God. I mean, in, probably in an unhealthy way. We've kind of addressed this over the past couple of weeks, talking about how uh, in the Old Testament we see very little references to the devil or to demons or to, to demonic spirits. Actually, actually, I don't think we see any references to demonic spirits or anything like that. References to spirits, a Saul was talking to, a medium and stuff like that. We do see a reference in Job talking about the devil. And Isaiah talks about Lucifer being cast out of the heavens all right, and, being, and being cast on earth. So there are a few, but there's just not many. And then you get into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the references in every chapter, they're talking about the devil and demons and all this kind of stuff. And so we talked about how God dealt with people in the Old Testament because they didn't have the word of God. And, and all of their faith was a faith that pointed forward, not a, pay, a faith that looked backwards. And how everything was different back then. And the way that God related to the people and the way that the people related to God. They, they probably didn't have a really healthy understanding of the character of God because God was shouldering all the blame for all these bad things that were happening to people because God wanted them to deal with him and not try to venture off and say, well, let me go make sacrifices to the devil just in case. All right? He didn't want them to follow superstitions that were very normal back in that day. And so these people had just got done witnessing God doing all, God, doing all of these bad things to the Egyptians and they didn't have the word of God like we do today. So their understanding of God, how, tr how God treats people and his character was probably extremely distorted. It probably wasn't a real healthy understanding of God's character and, and his, the way that he's compassionate, love. And we, we know that he goes on later and he talks about his mercies are new every morning. But here in Exodus, none of that stuff had kind of been spoken yet. None of those things have been spoken into their lives. They didn't have any of that stuff to re reference to. So it's kind of like, um, you remember when you were like a teenager, and you had siblings that were teenagers, and they did something really bad, and they got caught, 
and mom and dad went crazy on them, you're kind of like sitting there to yourself, like, man, I hope they don't have nothing bad on me. You know what I'm saying? Or, man, I hope they don't find out about what I did over here. Because then I'm going to get it like that too. All right? This is kind of probably how the Israelites were with God. Like, man, God just did all this bad stuff to the Egyptians. I hope he's got nothing bad on me. You know? Hope he doesn't come after me next. It's, it's a really kind of a, a distorted view of the way, you know, God treated people. So God brings them into this land, okay, he brings them into this land, and this place where he wants to give them rest, and he's telling about his promises, and he says right here, I am the Lord, your healer, I'm your healer, all right, I am the person that can bring healer, healing to you, okay, it is more accurately translated, I am Jehovah Rapha, all right, you've heard that expression before when you talk about the names of God. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord, our healer. This is, this is a, a compound redemptive name of God, okay. It's a compound redemptive name of God. And there's six other ones that we know, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, he goes on. There's, there's six other ones that we know that, that, ha, that God has these compound redemptive names. And this is one of them, all right? And these redemptive names helps us know, okay, who God is and what he does, all right? And so when we hear this phrase that he is Jehovah Rapha, he is the Lord, our healer, understand something this is a part of the character nature of God this is just this is who he is this is not what he does this is not what he's striving to be this is not what he's working out this is who he is so when the Bible says that God is love it doesn't mean that God loves sometimes it doesn't mean that God sometimes will act in love and sometimes he does not no, God cannot help but act in love all the time because he is love, okay? And it's the same thing when we hear this, that, that one of the redemptive names of God, he is Jehovah Rapha, okay? He is our healer. It's not something that he has to work at. It's not something that he has to figure out. He's not waking up every day thinking, well, I wonder if I can do a better job at being Jehovah Rapha today. That's not what happens. That's not, that's not how God works. It is just who he is. It's just like you, okay? You don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I be a better human being today? You, you are a human being, okay? Guys, you don't wake up in the morning, how can I be a better male today? You just don't, you don't, those things, why? Because it's just who you are. It's who you are. Okay, now you may wake up thinking, I need to be a better person, or I need to treat my wife better, I need to treat my kids, I need to treat my husband better, I need to love more, I need to, I need to pray more, I need to read more, I need to, I need to be more faithful, all right, whatever, okay? All of those things have to do, okay, with your character and who you are because you're a fallen creature and you, you struggle, okay, with sin and, and, and selfishness and all of those things. But God doesn't struggle with those things. He doesn't have that dark side, a part of him Okay, it, who he is is who he is. So he is Jehovah Rapha. 
is a part of the nature of God. And what happens is, is there are times in our lives where we get hit by the devil with something. Or maybe it's just circumstances or whatever. There's something that happens. Uh, circumstances come up, physical symptoms of disease. All of these kinds of things may come up. And we have to understand that these things are not indicators of the will of God. Your circumstances and physical symptoms of diseases are not indicators of the will of God, okay? So what I'm trying to say is this new age philosophy, of this humanistic philosophy that's, that's rampant in our world today, it's like, it's just fate. It's just fate. Just, you know, if it happens, and so what we do is wrap this idea of faith in a fate into our relationship with God. And so then what we do is we start assuming that every circumstance that we deal with in life must be the will of God. It must be the will of God. Well, if I'm just going through this struggle right now, it must be God's will because he's trying to teach me something. Well, okay, God may want to teach you something, but just because you're going through something doesn't mean it's necessarily the will of God. Those things are not indicators, and you can't walk around your life Assuming that everything that happens to you must be God's will. You cannot know what the will of God is just by looking at what comes down our path in life. And there are many people out there, even in churches, that thinks that if it happens to you, if it's something that's happening to you, if it's something that's going on in your life, then it must be something that is God's will for you for one reason or another. Right. And so now let's look in the book of Acts chapter 28. We see a story about here in the Apostle, the Apostle Paul. It said this, when they had been uh, brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain uh, that had set in and because of the cold. And they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shut the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that him... Uh, expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a God. All right. Now, here we are, okay, we have uh, some kind of indigenous tribe. They, the, these people were actually called barbarians, okay, whatever. They lived on this island kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And they had this, this concept, this idea, and this belief systems that believed in many different And when they saw him get bit by a snake, they believed that it must have been God's will because justice caught up with him, right? <clears throat> I mean, they, they were just out at sea. A storm came, okay? They're getting beat and battered so badly that they're all afraid they're going to die, Paul has this visitation from the angel and his dream says, saying that nobody's going to perish. And so he tells them all. And even though the, the boat gets shipwrecked, they all, everybody managed to make it up on the island alive. So it was all true. 
And so these people see all this happening. They see that they, they survived a shipwreck. And Paul comes up. He gets bit by a snake. And like, dude, man, it must be your day. Right? I mean, it just must be your day. You ever had those days before where, like, nothing went right? You're, okay, maybe, maybe it wasn't a day. Maybe it was a week or a month or maybe sometimes even a year, right? A season of your life where it felt like that if it, if it could go wrong, I mean, come on! Right? I mean, God, seriously. I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm in chains in the bottom of this boat. I'm a prisoner because of my love for you. And then I'm on this, I'm in this, this, this storm that's, you know, I can't even like see what's going on. And we're all, I, I mean, I could, you could even be afraid that you're about to die. But God tells me I'm not. So, okay, fine, I'm not. But it still didn't calm the storm. And the boat that I'm in goes crashing down. Ever feel like the boat that you're in is just sinking? <laughs> the boat goes crashing. They're all having to swim for their lives. At this point, I'm thinking it's the sharks that's going to end me. That's what I'm thinking. And then again, I need something to float on. Give me a piece of wood or something that I can stay out of the water. That's why you don't go watch shark movies, all right? Then you only go, like, waist high in the ocean water because you're afraid to go any further. Uh, and so uh, they make it, it's cold, it's rainy, they don't have like a change of clothes. You're walking around and sloshing feet and shoes, cold, you're building a fire, and then you get bit by a snake. Come on, man, can't catch a break. And all of these people here on this island just assumed, dude, you... You must have done something to deserve this, right? Sometimes you think in your life and everything's going wrong, must be me. Must be something that I've done. Must be something that, you know, these people are looking at them. Sometimes people around you looking at all the problems that you're dealing with, all the things, saying maybe you did something wrong. Man, maybe you got some bad juju going on. It's just kind of catching up with you. All kinds of different philosophies and ideas that run rampant in our world. And sometimes we grab a hold of those things. Maybe I did do something wrong. There are some strange conclusions that we can come up in our life when we do not have a foundation of the Word of God to guide what we are convinced of. When you look at these people... You think, man, these, these, these people on the island, they're, you know, they're kind of wishy-washy. One minute they're saying that he must be a murderer and this is justice, justice, and the next minute they're saying that he's a god. And they're going back and forth, uh, you know, allowing their circumstances to dictate what they believe about what's happening right in front of them. But there are loads of leaders, people, in the church today, who in essence sometimes do the same thing. We do the same thing. When everything's going good in our life, we think God must be happy. When everything's going bad in our life, we think, well, God must be mad. Or we think that something must be happening and I'm paying a price for something that I did. And we go back and forth with these mental games inside of our mind trying to figure out 
you know, what's going on around us. Because different circumstances can affect how you view the will of God and how God works. And if Paul had had this attitude, if Paul had had this attitude, then he likely would have never preached to the Romans. And we wouldn't even have the book of Romans that we have today, where he was able to establish a church in Rome, and he was able to preach to the Roman people and, and start this, this ministry that he had. All right? And you know, you do realize that, that this moment, Paul, where this snake fastens himself to his hand, is fulfillment even of the prophecy of Jesus. You remember the prophecy of Jesus? Sometimes we try to take stuff that Jesus says and take it a little bit further, right? What is it in Mark where he says you will, um, you will lay hands on the sick, you will cover, you will speak in new tongues, and you will pick up deadly snakes and they will not harm you? Right? So we're like, oh, yeah, let's uh, get some snakes, guys. We're not busting the snakes out up in here, I promise. Okay? Right? But this was a fulfillment of, of, of the prophecy of Jesus that these snakes will, will fasten to you and they're not going to harm you. It was a prophecy that, look, these things, look, man, that the world, and, 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 and Paul knew this. Paul knew this. Right? He shook it off back into the fire and he went on about his business. He said, what's a snake got on me? God's got a plan for my life. He's got a story he's not done with me yet. What is, what is this? This shipwreck, this cold, this wet, this crazy place. You know, he talks about this in one of his epistles. He says, man, I've learned the secret in life is being content. He said, because I've been, I, I, I've been shipwrecked, and I've been without food, and I've had plenty, and I've been without clothes, and I've had plenty of clothes, and I've been persecuted, and I've been loved, and I've been in every situation you can imagine. So what we have to understand is this. We cannot know God's will by our circumstances. You cannot know what God's will is for you by the circumstances that you deal with on a daily basis. Your circumstances are not a direct indicator of what the will of God is. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, for you were formerly, for, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. What does it mean to walk as children of the light? All right? We are to walk in the light. What light are we supposed to walk in? The light of the word, right? The word of God. We are in a position right now where God has given us his word so that we can know his character and his will, right? Let's go back to Sunday school. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We are to walk as children of the light, that we have a light that can shine and show us the way. That there was a moment in our life where we walked in darkness, where we walked in doubt, where we walked in unbelief, where we lived our life not knowing the truth. But God's saying in his word that we're supposed to be children of the light. And the only way you can become children of the light is not so you can go sit out in the sun for four hours like me and shine bright on the stage. No, you got to learn the word of God so that it can help light your way. 
so that it can be a, a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. So no matter what the circumstances come your way, no matter what it is that you're facing, that you're not going to say, well, this must be the will of God or this must be the will of God. But you will know the word of God and the word of God establishes the will of God. In verse 5, and see Ephesians 5, 8, and then it goes into 15. Verse 15, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Don't be like a fool. Don't be tricked into thinking things that are not biblical, that are not wisdom, that come from the word. Verse 17, it says, though, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, if God's will was for you, uh, was based upon all your negative circumstances, then, you know, God's word would just tell you just, just to roll with it. Roll with whatever. You know, whatever comes your way must be his will. See, the people of Malta, they were fooled. They were fooled into believing a certain way about God that wasn't true. The entrance of God's word brings light to us. It brings light to us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. All right. So, you know, when you look back at Paul's story, did Paul suffer? Well, yeah, he suffered a little bit. I mean, being persecuted is not fun. Being in chains in the bottom of a boat is not fun. Being in chains in the bottom of a boat that's in a storm is especially not fun. Being shipwrecked is not fun. And being bitten by a snake, I'm sure, has got to hurt. You ever been bitten by a snake? You know, I mean, it's a viper, right? Beside the poison, the two fangs latching onto your skin and puncturing holes in it, I'm sure doesn't feel pleasant, right? And this is Peter saying here, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish you, all right? So yeah, you know what? There's nothing we can do about the fact that there's going to be suffering in this world. Because we live in a broken, fallen world that is rampant with sin and people that don't love God, that people that only love themselves, that only love pleasure, only, okay, there, there's going to be suffering. There's, there's, there's no way to eliminate suffering from this world unless God eliminated sin. And in order for God to eliminate sin, he's got to eliminate your free will. And if he free will, then he is your dictator and he controls you instead of you making a choice to love him or follow him. Again, that's a, that's a, a very, very minor, minor um, summarization of the, 
of suffering from a biblical perspective. The suffering is going to happen. We're going to deal with it in some ways or another. Things are going to happen. We know that storms are going to come. We know that loved ones in our life are going to pass away, and we're not going to like that. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. And some of you have already experienced those kinds of things in your life. Those are not pleasant experiences to go through, but they're going to happen because of the nature of the world that we live in right now. But just because we experience that suffering, just because we experience those moments and these things doesn't mean that God will allow it to end that way. Nor does it ever mean that it is God's will or that it is something that God is doing. You remember it says right here that, 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 that it says, be sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary. You have an adversary. Whether you like it or not. Okay? Look, man, I, I am a... I'm a, I'm a person, I don't like it when people are mad at me. I just don't. I don't ever like it when people, all right? I don't like having adversaries. It would probably drive me crazy to know that I have adversaries. And I probably do. I just probably don't know it, or at least I try not to know it when I do. But I know i got a spiritual adversary. And I know he hates my guts. He hates my family's guts. He hates my marriage. He hates my children. He hates everything that I stand for. And you do too. And the Bible says, okay, that he is prowling around like a roaring lion. You know, the Bible doesn't say, I think sometimes we, when the Bible uses some kind of analogy to explain things, like um, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove, and we all of a sudden start assuming that the Holy Spirit's a dove. The Spirit's not a dove. The Bible says that he came on him like a dove, right? So when the devil is roaming around, he's not a roaring lion. He is trying to act like one, okay? And what that means is he's got like this really nasty roar, but his bite is really weak, all right? But this is what he, they're using an analogy to try to explain something so we can help, under, so we can understand it a little bit better, okay? And he's... He's, he's acting like one, and he's seeking someone to devour. Now, someone to devour, why doesn't he just try to devour the per- first person he comes to? Why not just take the first one he comes to? If he's, a, if he's a lion, and he's seeking to devour somebody, why not just take the first one that he comes to? Because it doesn't say that he can do it. It says that he may do it because he is looking for people who will give him permission. He's looking for people who will give him permission, right? Especially as a believer. We have to understand our position in Christ. It goes all the way back to Colossians and some of these things. Well, the Bible talks about our position in Christ, that God has seated us with Christ in heavenly places, all right, and that, and that Christ is the head and everything's under his feet and we're seated with Christ, we have to understand our position that, that the enemy has no control over. And any great man of God that, is, that, is, that has done great spiritual things over the years has understood their position um, in, in the spirit realm. All right, and that's the reason why they've never been intimidated or threatened by demonic influences or demons or spirits or the devil himself. 
there's several stories about great men of God, revivalists, uh, Wesley and Wigglesworth, and some of these guys that had encounters with the devil himself, and they were never once afraid. As a matter of fact, they were, for the most part, uneven, uninterested in even having a conversation with them because they knew that, 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 that he couldn't do anything to them. He, he could not do anything to them, all right? And they understood their position. And this is what the enemy does. The enemy, he's roaming around looking for somebody to give him permission. Now, uh, I know the next question is like, well, who would do that, right? I mean, who, can I sign up for the, like, I'm never giving him permission, you know, uh, you know, that, that, I mean, right? I mean, who, who would actually do that? You say, what are you trying to say, Pastor? We're giving him permission, that I give him permission? I'm not saying that you give him permission, Right? But I'm saying he's looking for somebody to give him permission. Right? And you know who it is that gives him permission? It's not just sitting in church saying that, that the end is coming and he's looking to devour somebody. And you're like, well, I don't want it to be me. Please don't let it be me. That, look, that's not enough. Okay? The way we give him permission is through ignorance. Ignorance. Right? That we don't know what we should know about God's word. We're ignorant. And we give him permission through our ignorance, all right? And our ignorance does many things and affects us on many different levels. When we don't know what the word of God has to say about something, it makes us ignorant. Then we become susceptible to the traps and the lies of the enemy when he brings it upon our path. We become open to that. And that's how we give him permission. It's through our ignorance. We give him permission because we don't know any better. It is possible that you have given the enemy permission in a certain area of your life because you don't know any better about the word, what the word of God has to say about how to deal with the enemy in that particular area of your life. So you allow it. Because you don't know any better. I mean, you know, right? You, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't even know you don't know it. Yes, that makes sense. But here I am telling you that you might not know it. And hopefully that sparks an interest in your life or throws off alarm bells, like maybe I need to learn something in God's word about this situation in my life so that I can grow and not be ignorant so that I can stand on God's word in faith, knowing that God is faithful and true to every word he has spoken. Look, the Bible says that he is faithful to perform his word over you. You can, you, not that God needs a reminder because he doesn't, but you can use the word of God in prayer. God, you know in your word, you said that you would be my provider. You know in your word, you said that you are my healer. When you're faithful to the Lord in your tithes and your offerings, and you're doing it in a step of faith because you don't really even have the money to do it, but you do it anyways. 
and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills and put food on the table, and you go before God and you say, God, I am faithful to your word where you said that if I would bring my tithe into the storehouse, you would open up a window and a blessing, pour out a blessing on me that I could not contain. And I am standing upon that promise. But if you don't know that word is for you, you don't know that word's for you, you will allow yourself to continue to live and struggle and in difficulty and, 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 and just going, going because you just don't know any better. Remember, God wants to bless you. Now, look, this is not a, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching a prosperity message. The reason God wants you to be blessed is so you can be a blessing. Okay? God doesn't want to bless you so that you can get a nice Ferrari and drive around and look cool. Now, that would be nice, but that's not the, why, that's not the reason why God blesses you, is it? Sometimes we can look at other people and we think, well, that, you know, God's blessing them and that's what they got. Maybe that's what I need to get. But I think what we really miss out on is the true meaning of why God, why, why God does the things he does. The reason why um, I think that there's still an element of favor upon America is because of the generosity that still sits within the root of our country. We're a giving nation, and the churches as a whole give to foreign missions and all this. Oh, and we hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars a year are given towards foreign missions and the spreading of the gospel. Listen, God doesn't turn a blind eye to generosity and faithfulness to his word. When he says to give, and it will be given back to you. Look, look, it's, it's not empty words. You stand upon that truth so the enemy will look for those who are ignorant who he can devour he looks for those who are ignorant and then you remember what it says but resist him but resist him firm in your what is it faith firm in your faith what is your faith it's your substance of things hoped for and your evidence of things not seen that's how you resist him, firm in your faith, right? So when sickness comes upon you, and you know what the word of God has to say about sickness, all right, you resist him, firm in your faith. You don't resist him once you received the answer, like, ha ha, yeah, devil, what would you think about that? I got, I got healed. No, no, no. The Bible says that we resist him in our faith, and our faith is before we... You, you, your faith comes before you receive the answer. Faith comes before the answer comes. It's believing God's word to be true before God's word becomes true. All right? It, and, it's, it's, and again, we're not talking about, look, here, here's what you have to, all right? You talk about faith. The truth is greater than the facts. I'm not telling you to ignore the facts. I'm just telling you not to give it a place of influence in your life. The truth is greater than the facts. God's truth, God's word is greater than the facts. You stand upon the truth of God's word. Now, how do we resist him? Firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. That's how we resist him. 
All right? We're resisting our faith, and we don't do this with our thoughts. We have to keep the devil in the arena of our faith, all right? You keep him in the arena of our faith, and that's how you're able to do it. You're able to defeat him through the in the arena of faith, but you can't do it in any other arena. You try to do it in your thoughts, or you try to do it on your own, on your own effort, on your own you have to defeat him in the arena of faith. That's how you resist him. So you keep him in that arena, and you attack from a perspective of faith. It's faith-based every time. In other words, you're saying that I believe God's word over the facts right now. And the enemy may be bringing facts into life that are extremely negative, that everything looks extremely bad. But if I will keep the enemy in the arena of faith, and by doing that, okay, by, by staying there, what I'm doing is I'm allowing the word of God to have superior influence in my life. But in order to do that, you can't be ignorant of God's word. you got to know what God, God's word has to say. You know the will of God. When you look at Jesus' life, um, off the top of my head, there's only one time that I can remember that Jesus prayed a prayer of consecration. You see, what, what, what we do sometimes is we substitute the wrong prayer in the situations that we're dealing with. We will pray a prayer of consecration when we should be praying a prayer of faith. All right? And what I mean by that is, we'll, we'll, God, you, you know, we'll have some significant issue in our life. Okay? A health issue, a financial issue, a relational issue. Some, something that we're dealing with in our life. And we'll be praying for this and we'll be like, but God, you know, your will be done. Whatever you want to be done, God, your will be done. Just let it be done. Well, okay, that's a prayer of consecration, not a prayer of faith. A prayer of faith says, I already know what the will of God is. Prayer of consecration says, your will be done. When did Jesus ever pray a prayer of consecration? Before he went to the cross, right? It was the only time when he was in the garden and he didn't want to do it. God was telling him he needed to go to the cross. He said, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Your will. Do you ever remember a time, a moment in the Bible when Jesus was praying for somebody for one reason or another? To get sick, whatever, to get healed, not get sick, to get healed or whatever. You ever, you ever remember ever Jesus saying, God, your will be done on them? Jesus ever pray? Look, look through the scripture. Read every story if you want. Okay? Does Jesus ever say, "God, whatever your will is, you just do it upon them right now"? Now, what the, what we do is, uh, we we do that sometimes as a I don't know. It's, this is going to sound kind of uh, uh, rude, but it's kind of a cop out. Well, you know, if God doesn't do anything and I pray your will be done, then it just must be His will that something's not done about it. It's not any other reason. It's just, it just must be the will of God. It's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a way for us to get out of it. Jesus told us to pray and say that mountain, be thou cast in the sea. He didn't say, if you say that, that mountain, uh, uh, mountain, if it's the will of God, be cast in the sea. 
No, he didn't say that. He said, if you stay to that mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be so. And if you believe, whatever you pray for uh, and you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. All right? That you don't believe that it's the will of God, okay, or believe that if it's the will of God, you'll receive it. That's, that's, that's the exact opposite. Of what, you know, consecration is like, God, I'll go on the mission field if that's what you really want me to do. God, I'll, I'll give this money if that's what you really want me to do. God, I'll go talk to that person sitting over there on the bench if that's what you really want me to do. God, I'll do it. God, you, you tell me what to do and I'll go do it. When, when I prayed and I fasted and I spent months praying and fasting about coming up here to plant this church. Man, I was praying a prayer. God, if it's your will, you know, I'll do it. I leave everything that I have here. I leave, I leave all this stuff and the the the, the ministry that I that, that that you've been using me to build and the, these young people that have been shaping their lives. I if you want me to do it, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's whatever. Why? Because the Bible doesn't speak to that particular issue. The Bible doesn't tell me leave Palmetto and go to Clear and plant a church. There's nowhere in the Bible to find. In 2009, and go plant a church in Calera. Because it's not there, I don't. Really, I have to pray and seek the will of God about some of those things in my life. You're gonna change jobs. You, look, the Bible's not gonna tell you change your job. Now it might give you some help, like if your job has caused you to lose your marriage. And God's saying your marriage is more important, and if you change jobs, it would help your marriage. Then, you know, the Bible might be helping you out a little bit there, but it's still not telling you to change your job. Those are prayers of consecration. God, I'll, I'll go do this. I'll, I'll be a part of this. Just like Jesus, I'll, I'll go to the cross if you want me to go to the cross. Nevertheless, not, not what I want, not what I want, what you want. What we do is we pray prayers of conse- consecration that are supposed to be prayers of faith. And what we're doing is we're basically not even praying. Because God's like, well, what do you mean if it's my will? I, do you not know my word? Do you not know what I say in the Bible? How can you say if it's my will? There were times, two times that I could think of in the Bible where somebody came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if it's your will, please heal me. And Jesus said both times, I am willing. There's no, there was no issue of will. The people wouldn't want to know what the will is, right? But there was no will issue with Jesus. In that Ephesians thing that we just, oh, I'm sorry, First Peter and 5, it said, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I think that the enemy does a really good job of is uh, making us feel like we're the only ones. You ever feel like you're the only one going through the struggle that you're going through? Right? You're the only marriage that has arguments. You're the only marriage that has problems. You're the only one that's got kids that are disrespectful and that don't clean up after themselves and don't do what they're supposed to. You're the only one that has financial trouble. You're the only one that's, you know, got debt. you you're the only one. Everybody else looks so happy and got it all together. Because that's what we do, right? And we, I, I, it's probably three years ago we preached a whole sermon series on this. This is what we do on Sunday mornings is we, we, we put our 
our good people face on and we smile and we come to church and we act like we got it all together when really none of us got it all together. I mean, really? Who, who in here thinks they got it all together? If you do, if you got it all together, you can come kind of take my place. I'll let you preach because I can tell you this. I don't have it all together all the time. I don't. We're broken people, man. We have problems. We have issues. We have we have things that we deal with, and if you're in a good place in this season of your life right now, like I can assure you it hasn't been that way a long time or forever for sure, all right, because there's been some brokenness, and there's been some problems. We all deal with them. Every single one of us have issues and problems that we deal with, and sometimes we come acting like we all got to act like we're perfect, and we got life figured out, and we got a you know, bull by the horns, and we're just, you know, we're all frolicking on daisies, you know, living on love, spitting out the seeds. We, we you know, we, we feel like, but that's, we're not like that, right? And so what Peter here is saying is that you have to understand that the struggles that you're dealing with, there are people all over the world that are dealing with the same struggles. And you're not alone. You're not alone. And you can resist the enemy, you can resist the devil, knowing that it's not just you that he's attacking. It's not just you that he's bringing chaos and problems and difficulty in your life. It's not just you. It's happening all over the place. Really quick, I want to read this, and um, Rob, if you'll come. Matthew chapter 4, you want to know how to resist the devil how to resist the devil firm in the faith. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was going to be tempted by the devil. All right? And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. That's true. 40 days without food will make you hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I mean, is it really wrong for Jesus to make stone into bread? I mean, he's gone almost 40 days without food. Is there somewhere in the Bible that says, don't turn the stone into bread? Is it one of the 11 commandments or something. No, it's not there. But the devil, but Jesus knew who he was dealing with, right? And apparently maybe at this particular point, he wasn't supposed to be finishing his fast. It's the only thing I can figure out here is that Jesus is fasting. He's doing it on purpose, and it wasn't time for him to finish his fast, right? And let me tell you something. If you've ever fasted, Longer than like four hours. Okay. Somehow the devil got waited 40 days for Jesus. But for me, it's four or five hours usually. He'll come to me and be like, yeah. You see what they're eating right? You know, my wife will ask me to go to Zaxby's and get her some food or something. Like, seriously? Come home, man. I mean, like, help me out here throw me into that right there. 
came. But Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil then took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hand they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now here, this is interesting, the devil is actually quoting scripture to Jesus. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually in the Bible. The problem is, is the devil only quoted part of the scripture. It was only a portion of it to try to get him to do something he shouldn't do. All right, and of course, Jesus already knows the scripture. Let me get back to the, okay, he's looking to devour, and if Jesus had been ignorant, and he wasn't, okay, he wasn't. Right? And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So yes, I recognize the fact that God says that he's going to protect me, he's going to take care of me. But one word does not contradict another. Just because the Bible says he's going to protect me and take care of me doesn't mean that I'm going to be a fool and I'm going to jump off this thing and put the Lord to the test. doesn't mean I'm going to test God. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. <clears throat> was the devil offering something that he could give? Yeah, he was. What he was doing here is he was offering Jesus a shortcut. He was offering him a shortcut. You don't want to worry about all the suffering and the pain. If you'll worship me, I'll give it all to you now. A shortcut. You know, sometimes the devil comes into our lives and offers us shortcuts, right? Your marriage isn't happy, so the shortcut is to end the one that you're in right now and go be happy with somebody else who'll make you happy. Or maybe you're not in, you're not married yet, and you're dating, and so you you have sex before marriage because that's a shortcut to get what you want instead of doing it the way God tells you to do it. Or maybe it's that God wants you to be blessed, and He wants you to financially, and you have an opportunity to embezzle or steal or take something because the enemy will create opportunities for shortcuts in your life to get things that maybe God wants you to have to do it his way and Jesus responded it's funny it says go Satan like he's mad get away from me man you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only and the devil left him and behold the angels came and began to minister to him all three times the enemy tempted him in different ways and all three times Jesus responded and resisted the devil in the arena of faith. In the arena of faith. Right? By using the word of God. By using the word of God, he was able to resist the devil in the arena of faith. He kept him there, and that's how he won. 
That's how he won. You know, the Bible says resist him and it will flee. You know that word flee? It, it, in the original Greek language, it means to run in terror. To run in terror. That you have the capacity in the arena of faith to make the enemy run from you like he's afraid. You don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to be afraid of what he can do or the havoc that he can reap upon your life. You don't try to negotiate. You don't pray prayers of petition. You don't contemplate what's going on in your life. Okay? You use the word of God. Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't negotiate with the devil. Okay? He didn't try, you know, pray a prayer. He didn't say, God, please make this devil leave me alone. Please make this devil go away. I don't want to deal with this devil anymore, God. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't sit down trying to figure out, well, what must bad thing must I have done? Or oh, this must be the will of God because it's part of the circumstances of coming into my life or whatever. No, he didn't do any of those things. He quoted the word and he did it over and over again. So listen, listen, listen carefully. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ears to my sayings, do not let them depart from your sight, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all of their body. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and they will drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. In James chapter 5, if anyone is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church and they must pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore, will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. But I came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed our message? In whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender stoop, shoot. And like a root out of a parched ground, he had no uh, stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. Listen, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Not we will be healed. 
we are healed. You see, when we use the word of God to attack our circumstances, Ephesians says it's like picking up a double-edged sword and it's swinging that sword in battle. A powerful warrior, a powerful warrior in faith, you understand what the word of God has to say about every situation in life. You see, back in the day in Old Testament, men fought for land and houses and stuff. Today, today we fight for eternity in the hearts of men. We're in a real battle, in a real war, and the Bible has given you every tool that you need to resist the devil. Not every circumstance you face in your life is the will of God. Not everything that you deal with is, is supposed to happen to you. And you can resist the devil, and you can stand firm in the faith, and he will have to flee from you. Will you stand to your feet today?